Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. This has been a crazy week for me personally. Uh, not crazy in the way that like uh, a lot of bad things have happened or really good things have happened, but crazy in the way that on Monday I sat down to kind of start looking into this sermon for this week. And I actually wrote the whole sermon from front to back in one sitting, and that's never happened. It's never happened that it all just flowed out, and this is what it is. And so it kind of made me nervous. It made me nervous because I thought, well, I feel like that was so easy that it wasn't from me. It made me nervous because I was like, I want to preach it right now, but it's Monday, and I have six full days to get to Sunday. And sometimes I think when, when you want to say something true, and not true to yourself, but like true that God's truth is coming forth, then what happens is Satan and the enemy ramp up, and they're like, we don't want, to, we don't want that to come out, which makes perfect sense. Um, so it's been interesting that throughout this week I've seen in different ways weird things have happened that aren't necessarily weird in the sense that, I don't know how it happened, but weird in the sense that yeah, it seems like Satan has been pushing and fighting to make sure we kind of live in half-truths and, and falseness and all that stuff. So the first thing I want to do today is actually pray for the sermon and uh, for everyone in here. So I'm going to do that, and then we're going to get started. Lord, we're here, and we are here because we are desperate to hear your truth, your truth of who you are, the truth of who we are, and how that relates to one another. Um, there's nothing more that we would want to know besides you. There is nothing, if we are honest with ourselves, that we would want to know more than who the creator, the invisible God is. But you haven't stayed invisible. You've revealed yourself and you've made yourself known. And so we get to seek out and constantly look to your uh, word that you've said and spoken and given to us and um, we get to examine who, who are you? We're so thankful that you have not stayed silent, that we get to know more of you. So today, help us, help us, help me with the sermon and uh, help the people in this room um, be present, not distracted, not thinking of other things, because nothing in light of you matters. Um, so clear our minds, clear our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so we're in a series that's called Christian versus disciple. You might see my uh, video that I made for this week. You probably didn't hear one thing because you saw my ET fingers in the video. That's fine. God makes us all unique and special. Um, and so basically what I was saying is we're in this series, and it's an interesting series because if you ask most people, Christians and disciples, it's the same exact thing. Why would we have a verse in between them? Well, we live in a city that a lot of people claim Christianity because it's, it's easy to claim. And you could ask a lot of people, are you Christian? And they would say, yes. But then if you say, are you a disciple? Do you follow Jesus? If they're honest with themselves, they, they could not say yes so easily. Um, so we want to distinguish, what, is it, what does it mean like when people say they're a Christian, but they don't really know what they're saying? And what does it mean to be a true follower of the King of Kings? So each week we divide that in different things. So this week, 
I mean, we did, um, what was last week? Anybody remember? Huh? Living versus dying, right? Um, and this week we're doing human versus God. Now, let's just take the title for itself. Human versus God, who wins? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? Who in here could possibly say human? If you're a Christian, there's no way, knowing who the God of the Bible is, that a human wins versus God. Um, so we as humans, there's, we're not, there's in no possible way, are we better? Are we more? Are we over God in any way? And at no point in a head-to-head comparison um, could we ever put ourselves over God. Like if we took our best human representative in our collective historical existence in their particular world-changing expertise and put them versus God, it's still no competition, right? Like if you have, if you have the Da Vinci's and the Rembrandt's and the Picasso's and whoever else does art, and they're like these changers of culture and societies, God still wins because they've just plagiarized things that God has already created in far greater detail in quality and imagination. It's not even close. If you take, on the flip side, people that people know today, you know, like your uh, Tupac's and M&M's and Jay-Z's, right? We have one person that thinks it might be a close battle. Um, You put them against God, God obviously wins. God birthed every language spoken and unspoken from beginning to the end. He knows every rhyme scheme. He created it. He did everything. So any of their songs is like a babbling one-year-old to God. It's nothing. It's nothing. And you, you can, I'm not going to take it all day, but you could go all day. He's, he's more competitive than Jordan. He's more driven than Brady. People are all about like, uh, what's a guy, Aaron whatever, who hits long home runs? Oh, that's cool. He hits a 500-foot ball. God hit the universe in existence, and the stars are still going. It's still expanding. They haven't even stopped. And so we're here being like, oh, this guy's so amazing. It's nothing compared to God. Nothing compared to God. I feel like a heretic even trying to imagine that it could be something compared to God because it's so unevenly not even close. So here's my question. In light of that, in light of that, who deserves all attention, praise, glory, honor, and worship? God. It's no question, right? No one in here in their right mind could say someone other than God. And even if God didn't demand it, who would we still have to give it to if we were honest? God. Who does the entire universe revolve around? God. Who does every single thing that we can see and know and experience come back to? It's God. God is over, in, and through all things, right? So if you call yourself a Christian, you have to understand that you are a blip in eternity compared to God. You are a, like, that's my sound effect. And then, that's in all eternity, that's you. So, I kind of, I heard this the other day, and I thought it was a good example, but it's, it's like, if there's a movie, right, 
and you're in the movie. But you're in the movie on a two-second scan of an audience of extras, a million of them. And you're one of them in the movie, right? And so in the whole entire movie, you get one two-second scan of a million extras, which you're in. The question is, well, wait. So the movie itself, the movie's about God. It's starring God. It's directed by God. It's casted by God. It's written by God. Everything's about God. And you have your two-second scan of a million extras. So we have this teeny, 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 teeny part in the movie. Why? Why do we walk down the red carpet doing all the interviews like it's our movie? That we, we live our lives like we're the star of the show. It's about me. And you have, it's like, imagine inviting all your friends to the premiere. Like, I'm in this movie. I can't believe I made it. It's awesome. And they walk out like, uh, I didn't quite see where you were. It was like, you remember the million people shot? I was, you didn't see my head? I don't know. I thought it was a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not that big. So we're saying that God deserves all the praise and the glory, and yet we completely act differently. Like, we're a big deal in it. So why is it a big deal to distinguish this? Why, why is it a big deal when we take that, when we center everything around ourselves and not God? Well, I believe when people who claim to be Christians, who refuse to follow Jesus, they're the biggest hindrance to God's glory. They do the most damage to God's character, and they are the biggest ally to Satan and his schemes. So I'm going to read this quote. It's not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism, that in the end, or that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity. So this right here is like, wow. So if you, if you know what it is, so if you're going just against scientific doubt or just atheism or people being like, I don't know how I feel, what it, you know what it is. And so you can, you can bring it to light against the gospel. But it's the ones that are claiming to be Christians who are the ones doing the most damage because they're confusing people's ideas of who God are. They're confusing people's idea about what his character is like, what his glory is like, and what, what his mission and bringing the kingdom are like. And you know what's crazy about this quote? Do you know when it was written? 1890. So it's over 100 years ago this guy said this, and how, how good is that and true is that for today? How much has changed? How many Christians do we know that are proud, that are sensuous, that are selfish, that are luxurious, that go to church, but they're hollow-hearted and they're only for their own prosper? like prosperness or whatever the word is. I don't know what that word is. Their own prosperity. So we, we have a major problem on our hands as Christians. We have a major problem. When Christianity isn't persecuted, and even when it's encouraged, kind of like here in Jacksonville, yeah, maybe there's some pushback, but it's, it's a good thing to be a Christian here. It actually can help you out in life to be a Christian here in Jacksonville. We claim Christianity at no cost to ourselves. It's just a nice warm feeling thing that we're like, yeah, I like that. Like, that's good. 
And I, I was reading this book recently that pointed this out, and it was talking to Christians, and it said something to the effect of, if you as a Christian sit idly, like just not doing anything, while watching false gospels and anti-gods claim human hearts around you and not saying anything about it, you're a coward and a deserter of the faith, which is a harsh truth. Is it harsh? Yeah. Is it true? Absolutely. Why would we throw this life vest, this life raft to people who are drowning? Be like, do you see the life raft? Do you see the, do you see the vest? And they go, yes. Be like, okay, I'm going to drink my margarita on top of the deck. It's like, you have to explain how they're drowning because they don't know they're drowning. You have to point out like you're, you see it, but it's not, you don't see the full picture. And we have to do that with ourselves, right? So it's been very convicting to me um, recently because when I, when we typically, and when I typically think of sharing the good news of the gospel with somebody, it's, I, I feel like I've been selling it short, honestly, that I haven't been giving the full picture because I, I actually give away an incomplete gospel, um, which if it's incomplete, it's a false gospel, which is a scary thing because I don't give a full picture of what's, what God is asking. Why? What am, I, what am I saying? Because I don't say it comes at a cost. I, I don't say that, I don't help people see that it's not about accepting and revolving around what you already have going. Because um, we're still God in that. To worship God is to throw all that away and follow God. Um, so what does that mean? The gospel of Jesus is more, it's, it's more than just the forgiveness of sins. The gospel of Jesus is more than the guarantee you're not going to go to hell. The gospel of Jesus is more than the promise that you'll spend eternal life in heaven. Because we see the gospel as what it can do for us. It, it's more than a sigh of relief. And a lot of times I think of, we think we're so focused on conversion and becoming a Christian and how it sets us up to win and be, and be good with God, that we don't, we don't see the whole picture. Because all those things are true, but it comes out of that you get God. Not that you just get his stuff. You don't just get his blessings. You actually get God, the one who gives all the blessings. Right? So when we say, oh, thank you. Okay, my sins are forgiven. Good. Glad it's off my chest. Or, oh, I'm not going to go to hell. I was worried about that. And now I'm good, so I can live my life. Or, Oh, I'm going to go to heaven one day? Awesome. Now that that's set in place, let me just go live my life. Because we take what we want and the security we want from God without actually following God. And this is a, this is a hard thing to say because it's really easy when you hear like, God is love. God loves you. Which is true. To say, awesome. I'll believe that. I believe God is love. But you know what? The demons believe that. So what's the difference? What makes us different than just saying, yeah, that's true, that's nice, I'll accept that as true, is if your life doesn't change, it, you, you're not getting it. If your life doesn't change, you're not getting it. And I've been thinking about it recently, it's like a, it's like a bag, you have a big bag, right? And someone's like, this is the gospel, it's true, this is good news, and then you take it, you're like, yes, I'll take it, you put it in your bag. But inside your bag are false gospels, and anti-gods, and they all get convoluted. So you don't, they kind of like, you didn't prioritize what you think is good and maybe throw some stuff out to put some new stuff in. But God says, hey, this is what's true, 
and you no longer get to control what is priority. You no longer get to control what's important to yourself. You no, you no longer get to control um, what you need more or less of. If the gospel costs us something, it says, if this is true and I believe it, I'm throwing my bag away. I'm throwing it away, and I'm going to let God decide what's important. I'm going to let God control my life. I'm going to let God tell me what I need more or less of. And as, as you're going along your journey with God, that bag comes back. And you realize, wow, I didn't throw everything away. I thought I threw it away. It's not. I still put my hope, desire, and determination into doing certain things that aren't for God. And they're not serving God. So the question is, the obvious question after this is, well, what's in your bag? What are the false gospels and the anti-gods? Because unless you name them, you're not going to know what is exactly in there. Because we're blind to a lot of them, right? Um. But I'll name some things for me that are in my bag that I put in with God. So one, financial security. I'm always thinking and devoting myself and desiring more financial security. Like, ah, this is, this is hard. I, I, maybe God's telling me to do this, but I, I would rather put my attention and focus on the security. Um, silly things, like working out. Like, I want to play God by being better than you at sports so I'm going to focus my attention into doing things that make me a better athlete. Or following a sports team, following a celebrity. Like, I, I want to put my attention and my desire to know more on that than actually knowing who God is, right? Having a full calendar. I don't want to feel lonely. I don't want to feel like I need anything. So I'm going to fill my whole calendar up with events so I can constantly move so I don't have to actually feel the pressure and the weight of my need. Um, secret addictions, any, I mean, you can go on and on, right? So the point is, let me be clear, all of us have many, many things seen and unseen in our bag. And we're all carrying them around. Um, so how do we figure out what's in there? Well, the best way to figure that out is to examine ourselves, to actually test the actions of our life, not the words we say, but what we actually do and see what we actually prioritize, see what we actually uh, put our faith in. Um, Scripture says this. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So, we're supposed to examine ourselves. We're supposed to look over our lives and see, where am I putting my attention at? Where am I putting my desires at other than Christ and Jesus? Um, and when we do that, we can start to identify these false gospels, these false good news, the false things we put our hope in, and the false gods that we follow in light of Christ. And maybe if we do that, we'll realize we're not even a Christian at all. You know what the hardest thing in the world to do is? Tell a Christian they're not a Christian. It's so easy to tell an atheist that they're not a Christian because they go, yeah, I'm not. So at least we know what we're talking about. Like, at least we can find out where the differences are. But if you talk to somebody, and I've had this conversation with people in this church multiple times throughout the years where it's like, I don't know if you're actually a Christian. Can you think of a more offensive thing to say to a Christian? 
I can't. And it, and it hurts. And it's, it's tough. But I do think that there's people, many people, that claim Christianity that haven't counted the cost and they're not actually following Jesus. They claim it as like, hey, I'm good. I'm not going to hell because I said a prayer. Hey, I'm good because, uh, yeah, my ticket for heaven's, you know, it's in my hand. So I'm good. I don't have to do anything else. Or I'm good. God forgave me for my stuff. So we're good. So I'm just going to still lead my life as if I'm the center of it. But you, it's to understand what God is, does, um, what he's demanding and what he's asking of us is to let go of your life and follow him. It's, it's a big, big difference. Um, so today we're going to test ourselves. Today's sermon is going to be a little different because usually I pick a passage, go through it slowly, whatever. Not today. Um, and today I'm actually copying what someone else has already done. Uh, and I don't mind doing that. I'm going to use the term lukewarm today to distinguish someone who says they're a Christian and someone who's actually a Christian. Um, and these examples that I'm going to show you in a few minutes, they come from Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love, Chapter 4. You should read the book. It's, it's a, one of those things that punches you in the gut and you're sucking in air that's not there because you're like, Wow. And so I hope today this actually convicts all of us to test ourselves and see where we're at. Um, so again, I didn't make these up. Francis Chan did. He's an awesome guy. Um, and if you want to read more of it, go to chapter four of his book, Crazy Love. So the point is lukewarm Christians, Christians, perfectly describe someone who accepts the gospel as true, but continues to make their lives, their decisions, and their dreams about themselves. Um, the Christian thing fits very nicely into what they want. It's the boost they've been looking for. Um, they, they really like some of the things God's, God offers, but they don't actually like God. And then they turn a blind eye to the things that God demands they sacrifice for him. Because he says everything, everything's on the table to be sacrificed if, if you're following me. And in following me, I'll let you know what that is. But what we do is we're like, oh, that actually, what God's saying here actually aligns with what I think is right, so I accept that. I don't want to spend time with God because I'm too busy making my own life right here. And those things in the Bible, those aren't true because I don't like them. They don't actually agree with me, which is the posture that I'm God and I get to decide, decide what's right or wrong. And so these are the religious folk that we read all throughout Scripture that the Prince of Peace is constantly getting angry at. You know it's bad if the Prince of Peace is angry at these people. Um, they say the right things, but, but their actions actually contradict God's truths. And they claim to know God and do things in his name, but in the end, Jesus says, I think Jay used this verse last week, I don't know you. I actually don't know you. You've been parading around with this label of Christianity doing things, but I have no idea who you are. They are lukewarm because they see the light and say it's good, but it's actually not good enough to release their grip from those things they actually prefer to hold on to in the darkness. They, they're lukewarm because they see, they, you, can, you can't help but see 
that God's this all-consuming fire in his activity going on in the world, burning in this world, yet their heart is cold towards God. They can tell you what's happening and tell you what's potentially true, but their heart is cold. They don't know God. That's why God says this in Revelations. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither uh, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. This is, again, coming back to the problem. If you claim that you're cold and at least admit it, well, that's a perfect foundation to build someone in Christ, to build them saying, I'm distant from God. I know that, and I'm, I'm against God. Well, then the invitation is clear. But if you claim to know God but not really follow him and you're just in the middle, it's so hard to navigate. So you don't want to be spit out of the mouth of God. No one in their right mind wants to be spit out. And the, the word spit here, I, th- I mean, it literally like it's a, it's a violent action in the uh, Greek. It's like gag. It's, it, he's, it's so distasteful to God that he just <laughs> spits you out. So again, we need to, we need to test ourselves. We're going to have a pop test today. Who loves those in high school? No one. But in here, it's going to be great. All right. We're going to test ourselves and we're going to expose our actions and the actions actually will expose our hearts and our hearts will actually expose our true priorities. What or who we worship other than God? What or who we center our lives around? Humans or God? So here we go. There's 10 of these. Lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It is what is expected of them. They think good Christians do, so they go. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Two, lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it's easy and safe to give, they do it. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people give their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Are you giving your leftovers to God or your main best thing? Because American Christianity many times looks like giving whatever you have left over. After you've served yourself, what do you have left to give other people? Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they're in a conflict. They desire to fit in both at church and outside of church. They care more about what people think of their actions than what God thinks of their hearts and lives. I know your deeds, 
You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You, you, you have this reputation that you're doing all these good things, these great actions, but you're dead on the inside. And God would know because I know your heart and I know your life. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Lukewarm people don't really believe that this new life Jesus offers is better than the old one. I have come that they may have life and have it in the full. Is your life better with Jesus? Do you, do you think it's better? Or do you really believe that? Or do you think the life that you would live yourself is you would know more and how to live it better than God and what he would want? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? It's more than just being saved from something. It's being saved to something. It's being saved to new life. It's believing that God knows what's best for you, that he knows what's actually good, that he actually created you and knows how everything fits perfectly and most in harmony and most shalom together. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. We need a complete shift of how we view the world and God's economy. We see evangelism as a task that we do because God said so, so we feel like, yeah, I'm going to do that um, just so I'm good with God. We don't see it as people are drowning. We don't see it as the most important, amazing thing to give people because we don't think it's the most important, amazing thing. So where are you? Where is your heart? Lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They give him a section of their time, their money, and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to the other man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, and you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. When, when you talk to God and say, God, I'm yours, what you're saying is everything's on the table. Dissect anything you want. I know I have things that I, I cling to and I, 
I long for more than you, but expose me. Expose me so I can give it up that I can repent and come back to you. But we live our lives like, okay, I love Jesus, and so this is what I'm going to give to him. This is what I'm going to do for him. This is how I'm going to give back to him. But we're still in control. We're not actually seeking God. We're not actually asking God, what would you have me do? What would you have me give up? What is killing me? Help me, Lord. Every time these things happen in the Gospels, when people come to him and Jesus just exposes the one thing that they wouldn't want to let go, the one thing they prioritize over him, is it your family? Is it money, the rich young ruler? There's always things that it, I mean, I can only imagine, we, we just get this vision, this picture that, you know, Jesus love, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's all these things. But he cuts to the truth, and the truth is a double-edged sword. So if you came up to Jesus and said, I will follow you, of course Jesus can be like, awesome, amazing. And cut right to the truth of the one thing that you're having, the one hurdle that you can't hop over to follow him. The one thing that actually, if you let that go, you would be a disciple, that you would be following God into eternity. And we want to be exposed. We want to be exposed. Know why? Because when you get over the hurdle, it's amazing on the other side. He, he, he loves us so much that he's willing to tell us what the thing actually is and expose in us what that is to actually have God. What an amazing, loving God. And yet we just sit and contemplate like, I know, but that one, that, I mean, couldn't it be something else? I mean, I will, I'll move. Uh, I'll give uh, like 10% more each week, but I can't. I can't do that one, right? But God is saying, you don't understand. I own everything. And if you want me, because I want you, you have to be willing to put anything on the table. And I'm going to convict you. And the things that you won't put on the table, I'm going to call out and I'm going to expose you. Because at the end of the day, being free in Christ is better than anything else you could possibly have and hold on to. All right. Lukewarm people love others, but do not seek to love others as much as they love themselves. Their love of others is typically focused on those who love them in return, like family, friends, or other people they know or connect with. There's little left over for those who cannot love them back, much less for those who intentionally slight them or with whom conversations are very awkward and uncomfortable. Their love is highly conditional and very selective and generally comes with strings attached. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing um, or what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? What separates us from anyone else as the children of God is that we reflect the true character of God. And the true character of this world is I want to be comfortable. I want to talk to people similar to me. I want to be around them. I want to feel known and loved and that they love me the way I like to be loved. And God's like, I did not do that for you. Because we were not like that. 
I actually loved my enemy. I actually pursued you. I actually came at you when you slighted me, and I still came to you. So if you believe that, and if you know the grace and mercy from me towards you in that, then I want you to be a light to the world and do the same thing. But yet, it's so easy to huddle with people that look like us, people that have the same general income as us, people that have the same cultural background as us. And that's not what God's saying. He's, He's saying, love those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Love those who are different from you. Love everybody. Don't get in the trap of building this monocultural society because whenever that happens, oppression happens, oppressors happen, and we all know how that plays out. But if we're truly to be disciples and actually follow God, our love is not conditional. Our love's not selective. If it, we're supposed to love our neighbors, we can start in this room today, look around. Who do, you, who do you avoid? Who do you not talk to in the room? Who do you huddle with hoping that this is, this is what you need? Because I, I personally think that a lot of us, we, fellowship is a great thing, obviously. We're supposed to f- have fellowship with believers. But man, we prioritize fellowship over actually loving our neighbors all the time. How much fellowship do you need and for what purpose do you need fellowship? Because once you have fellowship, you should feel full and ready to engage the world, the people around you. In our church specifically, we have so many different types of people here, so many different cultures. And there are so many awkward conversations that are waiting to be had. And if, you like, if you're like me, I love awkward conversations. I wish I had more of them. I wish my life was full of awkward conversations. I think that's my spiritual gift. But I know for a lot of people, they don't like that. They don't want to feel uncomfortable. And I love feeling uncomfortable. So thank you, Lord, for this gift. But for you guys, I see it. We huddle with people that are kind of similar to us or in similar life stages or whatever. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's obviously a good thing because you want to be encouraged in Christ. You want to be encouraged to grow. You want to be encouraged um, and edified. But the, the best way to expose what God's love is like is to cross the room and talk to someone else. To at work, go to the coworker that's the most different from you and actually engage them and hear them out. Go to the boss that hates you and turn the other cheek and be like, hey, what can I do for you today? That's, that is what God is doing for us. And when we actually deeply feel and know that, then we can do that for other people. All right, there's three more. Lukewarm people think about life on earth much more than eternity in heaven. Daily life is mostly focused on today's to-do list, this week's schedule, or next month's vacation. Rarely, if ever, do they intently consider the life to come. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. This is really hard. We live in a very busy culture, and we feel like we're always filling our schedules, trying to make the most of it, live life to the fullest. That's great. But it's our decisions and what we want to do. When you actually think of eternity, when you actually think of what's to come, it makes very light and very small the things of today that we consider important. How much of our lives is just getting through our to-do list? 
How much of our lives is making sure our schedule for the week is full? How much of it is waiting just for our next vacation? Because we, we need it. And how much of that actually has to, is involved with seeing God's kingdom come? Do we, do we align those things? Because if you put it on eternal things, I think I said a few weeks, if, if you rip heaven open and you see the other side of what God's doing, the activity of God, and you get a glimpse of that, it will completely change your to-do list, your week schedule, and even your vacation. Because you're going to be living in light of eternity and not how to please yourself today. So do you, do you take time to just not think about right now in the moment and think about step back and be like, God, give me a vision for eternity. Give me a vision of a kingdom. What does it mean for it to come here in Jackson? What does it mean for it to come here in my family? What does that look like? And, and how do I engage in that? Because all this other stuff, it's never going to live up to what I want it to be. Because I'm doing it because I want to feel fulfilled and I keep getting more and more into it, more and more into it, but it, it's never enough. But then if I'm working for the purpose of eternity and knowing that you're above all things and that you are redeeming and restoring all of creation and I get to be a part of that and knowing that these works that I'm doing are going to last for eternity and you're going to use them and I can be a part of your story and your movie, show me that vision and how that plays out today when I go to the grocery store. Because then I'm going to see people in the grocery store. I'm going to see people on the side of the road. I'm going to see what can I be doing, not just to buy groceries, but how can I be serving the Lord in the most minuscule small tasks? Lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. This focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and risking for God. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't have a million dollars, so that doesn't apply to me. Well, the, the, the fact is, that we are the richest country in the history of the world. We have more than enough. We have more than we need. Any person in here, we have more than we need. We have access to all of it. It's like uh, one of my friends, he's an Anglican priest, and he's very odd, but that's why he's my friend. And he was sharing a uh, story with me when Hurricane Irma was coming that um, two days before it hit, this, this woman and his... Uh, parish or whatever they call it, came into the office and she's boo-hoo, bawling, crying. She ball, she's 65 years old, bawling, crying. And he's asking her, he's like, what, what is, what's wrong? And she was dead serious, bitterly afraid that Irma was going to just wipe away her whole house. So she was like, I don't know what I would do. I'm just so afraid. I've, heard, I've been listening to the news and I feel like, what, what if it rips away my house? And he just said, you know you're not taking your house to heaven. So why is it that, like, what is it about your house that you're so worried about? Because we like to play it safe. We want to feel in control. And if we don't, we lose our house, we lose our job, we lose all of this. That's like the worst possible news. But not to God. God's still on the throne. And he still loves you. 
And the crazy thing is, God probably asked people to stop certain jobs. God asked people to sacrifice and risk for him in ways that are completely contrary to this world and what it would say. Are you listening? Are you willing to let go of control? Are you willing to not play it safe and just figure out how, you know, your 401k can be maxed out to this point so you can retire and make sure it's this? It's like, I get it. There's something about being a good steward of the finances you've been given, but what are you putting your hope in? Security when you're old or eternity with God? And if it's really eternity with God, then you're going to live differently. You're going to take risks that don't make sense. You're going to sacrifice in ways that don't make sense to the world, but it makes complete sense in God's economy. All right, this is the last one. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They, don't, or they have their savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have their retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life with God would have, or what life with God would have them live. They have life figured out and mapped out already. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Their refrigerators are full. Their health is normally pretty good, so everything's fine. The truth is, their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. Can't read that. The, the ground. The ground of a certain rich man. That doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now I remember what it is. The, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and actually build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. How many times have we heard that? But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. We structure our life to make sure we're good. But God already says we're good because he has us. And he clothes the fields and he feeds the birds. So how much, does he, how much more does he love his children? So what are we so afraid of? And I completely relate to this. It's like, if I won the lottery, I'm just thinking, man, okay, I would put this here for later. I'll make sure I felt good about myself and my family. And then, uh, you know, whatever else I guess I'll give. Uh, this person seems like he needs something. Sure, have, have some leftovers. And God's like, you fool. You're not going to take anything with you. You won't take anything with you. And what I'm not saying is that you shouldn't be um, just stewarding the resources that God gives. That's definitely not the point, because that is what we should be doing. But stewarding for what purpose? Stewarding it and keeping it in line and growing it for yourself? Or stewarding and keeping in line and growing it for God's kingdom and his eternal purposes? I think the best question any of us could ask is, if, if you decided not to be a Christian anymore, so you took off the label, 
Would your life actually change? Would anything be different in your life if you didn't claim to be a Christian? This is the litmus test. This is when I think about, when I, I was thinking about this question, and it's like, would, would I watch different movies or TV shows? No. Uh, would I listen to different music? No. Would I, would I still think the things, are, the, the things I think are good and the things I think are evil are still that, even if I wasn't a Christian? I'd be like, yeah. So, so what changes? What changes in your heart, in your life, if you took the Christian label away? Would you live differently? And if no, well, then the lukewarm section of this probably is going to ring true in a lot of ways. So before I go any further, I want to say this. I understand that we're all messed up human beings. I understand that. And no one is totally immune to these behaviors. These things happen in all of our lives. So we're all in this together. No one can put themselves like, hey, I'm all all the blue side. Because you're worse than the lukewarm person. You're... You're a liar. Um, But the key difference here is this question. Is your life characterized by these lukewarm mentalities and habits, or is your life in the process of being radically transformed? This is how you ask yourself this question. Now, to answer the question, you have to look more than just today, this week, this month, or 2017. You have to look over the entirety of your Christian life, okay? From, From when you had this profession of faith to right now. Week by week, year by year, it can be shaky and give you an incomplete answer because we're all on the path, right? We've had great years, bad years, everything in between. But is your life in the process of being radically transformed from when you said you became a Christian? For me, I became a Christian when I was 18. That was 15 years ago. And when I'm honest with myself, I say, yes, it can be characterized by a movement towards God. It's been a gradual 15-year discovery of who God is and that actually in turn has compelled me to slowly but surely um, leave behind my control, my glory, and slowly have a, you know, I think life is a slow death to yourself. It's a slow death to your flesh and an awakening to you being this new creature, this new being in God, right? So when God births that in you, yeah, there's a war of flesh versus your old self versus your new self and all that stuff. But are you, are you moving towards God or are you just kind of sitting still? I've heard it said that life, uh, Christian life is like being in a river going downstream. And if you're not swimming against it towards God, you just sit still, you're actually going to be floating away from God. And how many people just sit still and actually they're floating away from God? It's a challenge. Everything in this world, everything in yourself, everything that Satan pre- presents to us wants to make us float away from God. It's pushing us away from God. So the radicalness of it is you're going against the current, knowing and hoping that what God said is true, who Jesus said he is is true, and that who he claims you to be, a child of God, is true. Now, in my personal journey, there's been points where, yeah, I've sprinted towards God. I've run joyfully cartwheeling through fields of flowers towards God, like super excited like the uh, hippie I am. And there's been other points where I've gone wayward over the past 15 years, just so far out. There's been other points I've actually gone backwards. I'm like, I don't know, I'm going back to this. And then there's other points where I've like army crawled, 
like my legs have literally just been blown off towards God, and it's been so painful. That's what the 15 years looks like, and it gives me good perspective that he's not finished with me yet, and he's continuing to draw me and bring me closer to himself. And you need to examine your own life and your own walk in the same way, because there's all these different things that are happening. Um, And so also when I stop to reflect about it, and I think I'm closer today with God than I was 15 years ago, I have to just acknowledge it's literally, I'm not saying this because I know it's the right thing, it's literally by his grace, literally by his patience, and literally by his long suffering towards me after he claimed me to be his child. He is walking with me. So when I read this list, I, I realize personally I have a long ways to go, and I'm not as far as I thought, but also that God has been utterly gracious towards me in the process of becoming like him, drawing me closer, and, and that there's still areas in my life where I offend, where I mock, ridicule, spit in the face of God with my actions in my life, no different than the people in the crowd saying, crucify Jesus. I, I see that, because there's so many lukewarm things, right, that I'm like, what do I do? That is me. And I, and I can't imagine that there's anyone in here that, that doesn't need to repent of making something else their ultimate treasure. That doesn't need to repent saying, like, I, I know what God says, but I would rather do this or be this. And when we catch a glimpse of what God deserves, like at the beginning, God over everything. Nothing compares to him. And he deserves all our glory, honor, and praise. And then we, we catch a glimpse of what he demands. He, okay, so if that's what he deserves and that's what he wants, why don't we give it to him? Because we realize how we fail him. Uh, it, it's this huge like, gap between us. And we can only cry out to him. That's our only thing we can do when we realize that. We cry out to God because left to ourselves, we position ourselves against God. It's us versus God. At the end of the day, if it was left to us, we're the ones that turn from God, not God. And we make it human versus God. So here's the point today. What's your reaction to the list? Now, if it's, if it's to figure out how to stop being lukewarm, you're still functioning out of a me-centered universe. Because you're saying... I'm being lukewarm. I need to change my actions to not be that so I'm good with God, so we're cool. It's still about you changing what you do so God is cool with you and saying, God, thank you. Um, now I'm good so we don't have this lukewarm thing between us. We could, we good, good. Changing your actions doesn't change your heart. You could, put, you could dress up anything and it doesn't change your actual heart. And the only way your heart changes is when God initiates the change and you catch a glimpse of who he really is. And that is why what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is still vitally important for us today to actually remember and know. It gives us a glimpse of who God is. How much greater is God than humans? Well, when we pit ourselves against God, God traverses the gap by himself between God and humans and pursues us. So when we turn away, God still jumps the gap for, for no purpose other than his glory and his goodness 
and his righteousness and his holiness and his mercy and his grace to come and pursue us as we've turned our back on him. And we say, we think we know better than you, God. And we know he does that because we saw he literally did that by coming into our existence in our form and for us to come back to him. So in spite of our rebellion and rejection, he comes to us in human form, proclaiming and teaching us eternal truths and coming with a mission in mind. He has a mission that there's no longer this gap between us and that it takes a sacrifice. And so he sacrifices on our behalf. He experiences death for the first and only time. He does that. Imagine being eternal, living forever and ever and deciding I'm going to experience death for someone else's sake, for my creation's sake. How humiliating is that? And he's doing that for our purpose. And he's doing it because he wants to be a pleasing and worthy offering for the punishment that our sins deserve for no other purpose than to expose his own glory and his own majesty over the whole universe. And he's doing it for me and he's doing it for you guys. And the thing is, when he died, death had no claim on him because he was sinless. He had nothing. Death has claim on sin. So if you sin, that's the punishment. But when you die and there's no sin, how can it hold you? So God resurrects. And not only does it resurrect, he, he ascends. And he goes back from human back to God. Jesus goes back to God. And he paves a path for us to actually have access to the Father. So he does all the work. God does all the work. He comes to us, sacrifices for us, pays our penalty of our sin, and then paves the way back to the Father. And you know what he says? I paved the way. Are you going to follow me? Are you going to follow me? That's the way back to the Father. So you have to follow Jesus. God initiated all this for us, for me, the one who still will mock Christianity, mock image bearers of God, uh, ridicule the church, being like, oh, gosh, look at that other church. It's so ridiculous and stupid. And I, I reek of arrogance. I reek of arrogance today. And I still make everything about me, my life, and my world. And yet God still made a way for me. And he's still making a way for me. So God sets the path. And we choose. This is our choice. Do you walk it or not? And the amazing news is if you choose to walk, if you choose to let go of the things that you're holding on because you believe and hope in the, in the glory and majesty that God has set before us, there is a lot, a lot, a lot of grace for you. There's a lot of grace for those who walk the path away from this world and towards God. So when we fail, when we struggle, when we doubt, when we give up, God is still near. God still pursues us and God still draws us closer to himself. He hears the genuine cries of mercy and our pleas for forgiveness. Not from some self-righteous, kind of like whatever, lukewarm, cold, entitled heart posture, but from an honest, humiliated, desperate, needy, sunken heart posture. He answers those who cry out. And today, we need to check our heart. That's the bottom line. You need to check your heart because the test exposes your actions, but your actions expose your heart. So before we take the bread and juice today, which represent the historical and eternal reality that God and Jesus Christ has made a way for us not to be separated forever from God, that he actually came to us, died for us, took away our sin and made a path for those who believe and those willing to turn away from the sin of this world and the sin in themselves 
and release control that the universe revolves around you and willing to say, God, I know how you created it, that you create everything for your glory and that we're supposed to give you everything in all glory and praise. And that's actually the best possible way to live. That's the best possible way to exist. It gives us the most peace, the most pleasure, the most amazement and wonder. If you do that, you have to search your heart what's blocking you. What's blocking you? And better yet, not just, not just search your heart. You should ask God to expose. Ask him to expose because we are so blind to our own stuff. Ask other brothers and sisters in Christ to expose the things that you prioritize over Christ. What are you trusting in over God? What, what are you putting your hope in? What false gospel other than the gospel of God? And of Jesus? What, where are you finding comfort and meaning? Where are you feeling lukewarm towards God? Because that's not how we were created to be. Something's wrong with your heart. So ask God to expose you. And if you're realizing, maybe you've actually never counted the cost of actually dying to yourself that the gospel is more than just God loves you. It's that God loves you and wants you. And for you to actually pursue him means leaving behind everything that he calls you to do. It's, it's the posture of your heart. Are you willing to be like, Lord, I'm still a sinner. I still make mistakes, but I will drop everything for you as I'm able. Be patient with me. It's a long road ahead. And I know you're walking with me to eternal glory in yourself.